This can be played at high volume. Live and local. Let's go down to life out here. This is Acadiana's number one sports station. 1037 The Game. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now on 103.7 The Game. Welcome back. Hour number two of two sweet hours here on this New Year's Day edition of Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 103.7 The Game studios. Hear this worldwide. And you can definitely hear this thing worldwide on 103.7thegame.com, the free mobile app. Amazon Alexa, your favorite smart speakers, whatever it is that you like to listen to us, you can. And even through that FM dial, the tower of power that is 1037 The Game. He is the tower of power. He is too sweet to be sour. He is the rap master. There is no other. There is no equal. The man. And the man is right here enjoying a wonderful Saturday morning with you. And if you want to call in, 337 706 we spent a lot of time talking college football playoff semifinals, how a lot of them were blowouts, and maybe it's time to rethink expansion and maybe even recede for the time being. Once again, you can call us up, 337-706-0111. I'll get to my New Year's resolutions for your favorite sports teams in just a little bit. But in the meantime, we do have somebody on the hotline called in and has been waiting with zen-like patience on the 1037 the game hotline and it's James. James, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself, Mr. Clint? Have a good uh happy holidays with the family. Oh, definitely, man. Definitely. It's great to be back here. Obviously, we took last Saturday off because after all, it was Christmas Day. But we're back here to start off the new year on the right foot, man. But what you got for me? I wanted to uh, talk to you about uh your take on the playoffs, right? And regressing back to the uh championship. I, I, I get where you're coming from. I get the gut instinct, but I think we got a perfect example. Look no further than this year, buddy. You know, uh, if we talk four versus two, if we only had two this year, we'd have a national championship of Alabama and Michigan because basically the the, the mechanism for picking the teams is similar to what it was with the BCS, right? So you hate going through the four teams getting in and having some blowouts. But if you didn't, what you'd have is Alabama-Michigan. You'd have Cincinnati sitting on the side crying and printing up their own We're the National Champions t-shirts a la UCF. And at the end of the day, are you looking forward next Monday to a Michigan-Alabama game or an Alabama-Georgia game? Who do you think is going to give Alabama a better deal? I agree with you. It was painful to get here, but it's kind of like, you know, Everybody wants to eat the sausage off the barbecue pit, but nobody wants to go in the kitchen and watch you make it. Oh, no, exactly. I just think that there's something to be said about the fact that if you get the Alabama-Michigan game, like you mentioned, I think that's not not a horrible thing. But at the same time, I'm almost certain that if we were using more just strictly the old-school BCS method, I'm almost certain that you probably would get Alabama-Georgia. Again, I just think that the college football playoff 
has just resulted in the semifinals just being a coronation to the point where it feels almost like pro wrestling and it's predetermined, where we see every year Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, one of those three teams makes it into the finals. Ohio State winds up in there every now and again, but it's been a while. In fact, the first playoff, they beat Alabama, and then they wound up winning the national championship. But for the most part, I just am not sold on expanding it because then you, yes, you're going to see a lot more teams. I I like the idea of getting more teams, but at the same time, it's still probably going to get you down the same road, down the same path you're on right here, right now. I think the college football playoff, the only way it succeeds, the only way I think it could be successful in the future, and I'm talking about expansion, it's by expanding into 20, expanding the college football playoff field to eight, but at the same time, you're going to have to have the Power Five break away and create their own league that has the playoff within it. Because I just, I don't see, especially if you, let's say you go to 12. Say you go to 12. You put in all five, group of five, and Power Five champions. Do you really think a team like Alabama, Michigan, or I think the only team you'd probably have a hard time, you'd have an easy time making a, a case for it being an upset? is probably, and this is a knock against the Pac-12, I'll admit it, but what if you see a team like Cincinnati, if they're still in the group of five, of course they're going to the Big 12 not too far down the road, but let's let's use them as an example because they're currently, if we had the construct next year and Cincinnati is still in the AAC, I think you could say without a doubt they could probably beat an Oregon team. They could probably beat a team like an Oklahoma out of the Big 12. They could probably beat a Clemson. But outside that, it, you don't know until the game actually is played. That's my point. But outside of that, do you really think a UAB, a Louisiana Raging Cajuns, an Akron, a Marshall, do you think those teams have a legitimate fighting chance is again, if you want to make it fair, if you want to make it absolutely fair for everybody in a 12-team perfect utopian world, all 10 of your champions from Power 5 and Group of 5 make it. The other two are at-large bids. And those will go to the Blue Bloods because admittedly they will get a lot more favor. I just don't think it's going to work out all that well. I think there's it's got to be a process and how you determine the future of that and how it goes. Now, if you expand the playoff and I talk about what just what I think should happen and the only way I think you'll be able to have a level playing field is by moving the power 5 and breaking away from the group of fives, the NCAA, which I think is something that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen next year, but I'd say in the next four to five years, the next four to five years, you are going to be wondering what's 
the future of college football, it's going to be a breakup. It's going to be a messy one that could get tied up in a lot of, lot of courtrooms. But I think it's a conversation that's going to be had, breaking up the Power Five, moving them into a, a separate league altogether to where now they're the big dogs and they're going to have the college ball playoff to themselves and they'll be able to manage themselves in the world of college football, baseball, basketball, everything. It's going to become power five world. And then obviously the group of fives, they'll stay in their own little, little lane and stay inside the NCAA's world, which I think could be a really good thing for both parties because now the NCAA doesn't have to oversee 130 something odd teams. Now they can oversee these programs and help build them up and maybe build their own championship games, which will obviously be aired on, I'll use air quotes here, lesser television deals because I think the four-letter network's only problem, again, this is if it happens. I think that the group of five is going to be on a smaller TV deal, a smaller tier deal, like they'd be on Peacock or something like that and be on the USA Network's. Or, or NBC Universal. They'd basically be like the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. But it would be a, a bigger blow to them. Or on Fox Sports. That would be the future for them. It'd be either through NBC Sports or Fox Sports. There's no middle ground. Because the four-letter network, I think, will snatch up the Power 5 rights for every game. And who's to say that CBS could very well have a deal as well in place with them. Because, again... It's all about who's making the big dollars, who's going to wind up putting over the big bucks. And when you think about the four-letter network, what do they have? They have ABC. They have something like that. They have the four-letter network. They have the deuce. They have the U. To a lesser extent, they have the news. They have everything. They've got like 50 different channels, and they've got a streaming service over the top that works really well. Mind you, the fact that we still have to pay $60 for a UFC pay-per-view is a different conversation. But... It's something that we're going to have to talk about in the next five to 10 years about power five breaking away from group of five. And that's the only way I think expansion is going to work because then you will have a true parity in the league in this construct. There's not because especially with the NIL deals, the transfer portal, you are going to see, I think, in the next couple of years that there will be a clear gap between the halves of the Alabama, the Georgias, the Ohio States, the Michigans of the world, and everybody else. I could be completely wrong, but it's going to be a war, and whoever has the most coffers in their pockets and guys who have the biggest boosters, they're the ones that are going to go to the moon as one Jeff Bezos said a while back about Dogecoin. That didn't work. Not Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, excuse me. Got my rich billionaires confused there. But enough about the college football playoff. I spent some time resetting that because we got a call from our guy, James. Appreciate him. First call of the new year. Hopefully we get many more in 2022. But obviously it's the new year. Not saying new year, new me, because honestly, I don't think anything needs to change about me. I got a lot got a lot on the plate already. But when it comes to the new year, there are some New Year's resolutions I think we need to have for our favorite sports teams. 
and I'll go rapid fire here because I spent a lot of time getting into the college football playoff and how the future holds for that. I'll start with the Cajuns. Football, I think you need to just build off the historic seasons with Desermo and retain as many guys as you can on this roster. Again, you had a lot of you're gonna have a lot of super seniors leave, but you've still got some super seniors that could be coming back for another year. You've got to convince these guys to come back. It's going to be the art of re-recruiting. We see that a lot, especially in college baseball. Paul Maneri's talked about that a lot, is getting these guys to come back for their senior season after being drafted by an MLB team because you know that is something that's going to play a huge role in your process and how far you could very well go. Men's basketball, I think it's win the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. I've said it before, and I'll throw out this hot take again. They won their game. We'll talk about it in the next segment. They won their game the other night against App State. That's great. But you need to win the tournament because if you don't, I would not be surprised if the Cajuns do fire Bob Marlowe at the end of the year. Because, again, it's been about eight years 2013-14 season was the last time you made the NCAA tournament. It's been a while. I think it's time. And with everything that you've built, a lot of the big names that you managed to get to transfer over to your program, namely a guy like Greg Williams, a lot of the other guys you've had in-house, you need to perform at a certain level. And I think making the NCAA tournament is absolutely something they need to do. And it's the one-bid league. The Sunbelt Conference Tournament is your ticket to ride. Women's basketball, you just got to build off a of last season and maybe win the regular season championship for the second straight year, which would be great. It'd be a huge step in the right direction. Gary Broadhead and crew did something I don't think any of us expected last season. I say build off the, that success. You have somebody that's coming back in tight do say, and she's done a pretty solid job this year. You just basically build off of that and kind of work this momentum heading into 2022 and beyond. Cajuns baseball need to win the Sunbelt Tournament. That is your New Year's resolution. And it's not because, he's like, you know, Deggs is nowhere near in danger of losing his job. I don't think he's ever going to lose that job unless he has just some stuff go completely sideways for him. So I think Sunbelt Tournament winning it is definitely in the cards. I, I need to kind of do a little more research on this team, but I think it's a possibility. Softball, host a regional. That's simple as that. They haven't hosted a regional in a while, especially under Jerry Glasgow. And he's been scheduling really good quality opponents. He, he's been doing something I think the previous regime didn't do, and that's play tough, play big names, and not have to play a bunch of teams that are, as I like to put it, enhancement talent and, and jobbers and just stack up your record. He's stacking up his record with quality games and quality wins. So I think hosting a regional is definitely in the offing. When it comes to LSU athletics, I think football, get back in contention for the SEC West. It's year one of Brian Kelly. That's the expectations. Get back into contention. Now, winning the SEC West, that's something that's going to be more year two, year three. Men's basketball, make a run in the NCAA tournament. They've done that the last couple years. I think they can do it again. What What I saw last Tuesday, or Wednesday, I should say, Eh, maybe, but it's a step. They've they stumbled against a really good Auburn team on the road. They've got a chance to bounce back Tuesday against Kentucky. 
and hopefully they do. That said, it's an uphill climb. But they can still have a chance to make a run in the NCAA tournament. They just have to get through the gauntlet that is the SEC because don't forget, you've got teams like Alabama, Kentucky, Auburn, Alabama, and Arkansas. Those teams are getting better. you just got to keep up. Women's basketball get into the NCAA tournament, I think, for me, is going to be huge because this team has that potential. Kim Mulkey said, be patient. I don't think it's a case of being patient. I think you're getting there. And you get into the NCAA, NCAA tournament, that is a massive, rousing success for year one, especially considering where women's basketball has been. Then you get to baseball. Return to irrelevance in the SEC and host regional. They haven't done that in a while. So give me an LSU team hosting a regional first year for a new baseball coach. That'd be a big win. Softball. I think making it back to Omaha. That's a reasonable goal. I can't think of anything higher outside of winning a national championship. But even then, that feels like it's a it's loftier than lofty expectations that most LSU fans do indeed have. New Orleans Saints. I think you need to start building a team around a quarterback and start making a budget because I saw the numbers and it was like minus $60 million. On top of that more with Ross Jackson at the bottom of the hour. But also figure out what you're going to do with Michael Thomas. What the hell are you going to do with him? That's the biggest thing that I'm wondering. New Orleans Pelicans, I think the biggest thing, fire David Griffin. That's your New Year's resolution. Just fire him. He has just sucked the life out of this franchise. And if you want to see this team succeed and maybe get somewhere with Zion Williamson or whoever else you're going to wind up getting in the future, he's the first step to getting that. And that's getting him the hell out of Dodge because he hasn't done anything. His resume is like not great when you just look at the overall body of work versus you know him being the guy that was part of the Cleveland Cavaliers and brought LeBron back. He didn't have that big of a role to it, to be quite honest with you. He left right after that. So you can, you can figure out what happened there. Houston Astros, this last one. Houston Astros, re-sign Carlos Correa. I said it months ago. I'll say it again. Re-sign Carlos Correa. But that's about all I got here on Under the Dome with CD for this segment. Coming up next, I'll talk about some college hoops, especially when it comes to Cajuns men's basketball and LSU hoops. We'll get to that next right here on 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Once again, Ross Jackson joining us at the bottom of the hour. Talking Saints. We'll be back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And I'm getting hungry. Because it's almost 11.30, first off. We'll have Ross Jackson on in just a few. But I think I'll get all of you here in the Acadiana area and beyond on the 103.7 The Game mobile app, 103.7thegame.com, and everything else in between. Hopefully I do, at least. Because I think you need to sign up for the 103.7 The Game clubhouse today at 103.7thegame.com, especially if you love mouth-watering barbecue. And I'm talking brisket, mac and cheese, all that stuff. Mind you today, obviously, you'll be maybe eating some black eyed peas and some coleslaw. No, that's something what I'll be eating probably later tonight. But that's something that I know you are absolutely wanting to have. Some mouth-watering food. 
that's going to get you absolutely like salivating. And that's what you're going to get at Dickie's Barbecue Pit. So why not enter today for a chance to win a $40 gift card to Dickie's Barbecue Pit right now in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. It's free to join, and once you become a member, you'll have a chance to win that $40 gift card, along with other things. But again, a $40 gift card to Dickie's Barbecue Pit is up for grabs right now at 1037thegame.com. I'm just getting hungry in general. And there is a Dickie's Barbecue Pit about a stone's throw away from the 1037 The Game Studios. Well, a couple stone's throws, you know what I mean. Maybe a couple pebbles. Let's go ahead and just reduce the size of things I'm throwing on a New Year's Day. But there's no doubt in my mind that Dickie's Barbecue Pit may be at the top of that list. If only I could enter in to win that $40 gift card. But sadly, I work for the station, so I can't. But you can so sign up today at 1037thegame.com. Real quick, I'll go into some college hoops talk. Because I talked about it earlier that the men, they destroyed App State to open up conference play without Bob Marlowe on the sidelines. Also without a lot of other guys as well. You wind up seeing some key players step up, some younger guys step up. And that's great for a Cajuns team that I think is in a – big like must win type of year again that's just purely my point of view my pov versus maybe what dr brian maggard and everybody else up front and the higher ups that actually do make these decisions think that's again just my thoughts i think that if he doesn't win the sunbelt conference tournament i think the leash is no longer there and they're gonna let him go and again Bob's done a great job, have nothing but respect for him. I just think that there's eventually going to come a time where the rubber's going to be the road and you wonder how much longer are you going to let this kind of roll. Again, purely my thoughts. If you have different thoughts, 337 706-0111. 337-706-0111. Looks like we got somebody on the 1037 The Game Hotline. Hello, you're under the dome. Hey, TD. Happy hey. New Year's, buddy. Happy New Year, T. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Um, I was just uh, wondering if you could give me a score for Tuesday, uh, LSU football. A score for LSU? Prediction. Uh, Yeah, uh, give me a prediction. All right. I'll throw a prediction out there right now for that, T. And for me, have a good show. All right. Appreciate it, man. For me, I think when it comes to LSU, Kansas State, I'll go LSU. 21, Kansas State 17. I think it's going to be a low-scoring contest, and it's going to have to be. That defense is going to have to step up, and more importantly, the only way you're going to win is if this team plays a lot like what the Saints did last year against the Denver Broncos, and that's run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, because they don't have a true, honest-to-goodness quarterback. This is going to be very much a 10 yards in cloud of dust type game. I mean, you go look back at the Texas Bowl a few years ago. In fact, I was seeing that in my Facebook memories, which kind of made me laugh. Remembering those days when I used to write a lot of columns for 1037thegame.com and breaking down analysis for the games. Even ran the board for that one when they played Pat Mahomes. And that team absolutely tore it up 
Like, Leonard Fournette tore up Texas Tech's offense. Uh, defense, excuse me. He had Pat Mahomes throw God knows how many yards, but it was all about LSU just pounding the rock like no other. You have to hope you have somebody that's going to be pounding the rock like that because your quarterback, not exactly built, not exactly having a whole lot of confidence in him, at least in my heart of hearts. So for me, I think LSU 2021, 20, Kansas State 17 is kind of where I'm landing right now. And that's just off the top of my head, but I appreciate the call, T. So when it comes to the Cajuns, obviously they beat App State. I think it's a big year for Bob Marlin. And again, the fact you haven't had any crucial mid-season injuries, the pressure's even more on them. LSU, they got outclassed by Auburn. But it's kind of expected. The offense hasn't necessarily been there. The defense for that team has been outstanding. But the offense has to step up. Has to step up in the next few games if they want to make a run in the NCAA tournament. And especially with the fact the SEC is getting that much better. Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, even to a certain extent A&M, they're getting better. Kentucky. And I, I think this is going to be a fun SEC slate with a lot of really tight games. And I think LSU better watch out because next thing you know, after the Dale Brown game on Mon- on Tuesday, you can very well be looking up on everybody else, and it could be a long road to the top. But that's what I got for some basketball talk. We'll get some more basketball talk, I think, in the months to come. Because after all, you know, football's almost done, and the New Orleans Saints season looks like it could very well be done depending how everything goes on a Louisiana Sunday afternoon, late afternoon game, in fact, against the Carolina Panthers. And we'll talk about that. And more next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037 thegamecom Who is the world-famous CD really? Whatever you think, when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On 1037 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Coming to you live from the 1037 The Game studios. Hopefully you're having a great New Year's Day. Happy New Year to you, the first show of the new year. I think it's definitely been a good one so far. I think it's going to keep getting that much better with our next guest. He's aboard the 1037 The Game hotline. That is our good friend, Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, how you doing, brother? Hey, brother. Happy New Year, man. Glad to be here with you. And a wonderful way to start off the year, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Exactly. It's always just great to have have a conversation with you. And, you know, before we get into the Saints talk, I mentioned this in the last segment, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Are you pro Black Eyed Peas and coleslaw on New Year's Day? Not not coleslaw. I do black eyed peas and steamed cabbage, like an old Jamaican recipe is the way that nice. I do it. Uh, but that's the way that I go. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what you need to do is, like, is something, something like that to 
bring in the new year the right way. And obviously, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that Louisiana-type superstition stuff that we always right. heard growing up is cabbage and obviously, you know, black eyed peas. That's going to get you everything that you want to have in the new year. It's always, it's always yeah. a good thing to kind of start off on, but now we're going to get to some more, just like, I'd say disappointing stuff because I think we need to get into the new Orleans saints and what happened last Monday night against the Miami dolphins without a lot of players. And yet Ian book in his first NFL start and when it comes to grading out him, I think it's safe to say this game we can throw in the trash can because of everything that you were dealing with and you had a offensive line that felt like a sieve for an entire ball game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I would I would wrap up that game with a couple of things that maybe you can take away about Ian Book, but certainly as an evaluation point, it's pretty incomplete, right? You can't draw a full conclusion on Ian Book or his future based upon this game, considering that he had offensive linemen in front of him that hadn't played since 2019. And in one case, Kyle Murphy going out there after Caleb Beninock was injured, uh, he hadn't played a snap of regular season football since 2017 and was signed on Monday before playing. And he was actually with the Saints um, over in training camp and ended up not making the cut throughout training camp. And so uh, I, I think that Ian Book, you know, it, it's it's a situation to where, unfortunately the new Orleans saints were up against circumstances that weren't ideal. And Ian book was the only quarterback available to get that done. And so I I think he went out there and, you know, did what he could with what he had and with the preparation that he had, considering that he's been inactive all season so far. Uh, But, you know, the the thing that you hope you take away from this is you you hope that his, uh, his confidence isn't damaged long-term, which certainly doesn't seem to be the case as he continues to develop and learn under head coach Sean Payton for the next few years. Uh, exactly, and hopefully we can see him kind of grow into a little bit more, but it's definitely reminiscent of what I've seen with, you know, freshman quarterbacks. Like I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that it reminded me a lot of Brandon Harris's first start over at LSU mm-hmm. back in 2015. He was just thrown to the wolves, and, like, it just didn't – nothing nothing fit right with that game. That said, I think now you got to kind of throw this game away, move on, and focus in on tomorrow's contest – against the Carolina Panthers, and I think you'll agree with me. This is, without a doubt, a must-win game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the game, effectively, that you know either seals the deal in terms of your ability to be able to keep yourselves in the playoff conversation or potentially ends up you know, ending your, your playoff run. Um, you know, it would take a lot for the things to be mathematically eliminated with this loss, but it's one of those things where you, know, you can have the conversation about being mathematically eliminated or you could have the conversation about being likely eliminated, and you know, the, the latter would definitely put you in that situation. You would need a lot to happen around you in that case. So for the Saints, who, you know, they want to get to the playoffs, they want to continue to compete, as all good teams do, um, you know, they, they have to win this game in order to keep those playoff hopes alive because they'll need to win out and then they'll need some help from some other teams around them. But it certainly is a, a much easier task if they can win these final two games against the division opponent. And it definitely feels that way when you just think about how this team has performed over the last few weeks. I mean, you had that phenomenal, I think we can all agree, was a great win Nine nothing over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champs, who are the NFC South champions, and it's weird to think about that considering how much the Saints have held dominion over the years in that division. Mm-hmm. But now you've got a game against the Carolina Panthers team that clearly feels like they're in tank mode because they can't figure out their identity. 
because you have Sam Darnold who hasn't necessarily lit the world on fire. You've brought back Cam Newton who had one shining moment, but now is kind of regressing back to the to the mean of his career. Now you're you've got that team tomorrow. How hard is it to kind of prep for a team that's just doesn't have an identity heading into the final two weeks of the season? Well, I think that, you know, uh, P.J. Williams kind of talked about this a bit in one of his uh, post-practice pressers earlier this week, and he kind of spoke about how the expectation with Sam Darnold at quarterback, which is who uh, Panthers head coach Matt Rule said will be starting this game, is that they'll run a bit more of a traditional defense. So, excuse me, traditional offense, my apologies. And so what that would mean for the Saints is that they would be able to prepare for something a little bit more familiar. So I think that, you know, that's that's sort of what they're looking at. They're they know that the Carolina Panthers don't necessarily have a run game. They they know that the Carolina Panthers are going to look to air the ball out. Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, these players that they do have available to them are pretty good weapons down the field. And so I think that that's what you look for when it comes to this Carolina Panthers game is a game to where if they're going to win, they'll have to win through the air. The issue for Carolina is that they have a lot of injuries and they're, they're dealing with some unavailability over in the offensive line. And we've seen Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan combined for six sacks and 17 pressures just over the last two games. And so when you have you know Marcus Davenport about to match up with a rookie left tackle in Brady Christensen, who by all accounts is a very talented young offensive lineman from the BYU Cougars, somebody that you know I think would have been a good fit for the Saints even in this last draft. I, I think that that rookie inexperience is something that the Saints will certainly start to key in on as well as the sort of weakness that is the interior of their offensive line. But you can expect the Saints to prepare for the same thing from Carolina overall on Carolina's defensive side. Talker now, Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. And looking at the Saints side of things, obviously Taysom Hill is going to be back, thank goodness. But what can you say about the some of the players that are going to be MIA in tomorrow's contest? How big of a role, how big of a hole is that going to be to fill for the contest? Yeah, I think the biggest thing to watch on the offensive side is going to be being without center Eric McCoy, which is the expectation he was added to the COVID reserve list late this week. And so the expectation is that he likely won't be able to clear those protocols as we understand them, the NFL's protocols, um, by the time, you know, in time for this game. And so that would mean very likely uh, Will Clapp, former LSU Tiger, would be getting the start at center. If we remember early on in the season when Eric McCoy was unavailable, they moved Cesar Ruiz to center because of the fact that Will Clapp had started the season injured. And so I believe that apropos some conversation and some 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 notes sort of that uh, Taysom Hill had shared with you know him working with Eric McCoy at center, under center at practice, then that would be the one that I would be watching. And, and you know, look, Taysom Hill and Will Clapp have a good chemistry together. They've communicated a ton over the years um, in terms of second, third team reps, stuff like that. And so I think that it's a good, comfortable situation for Taysom, but is it going to be a good, comfortable situation for Will Clapp? That's what we'll have to see. But he's had a long time in this offense, and he's very familiar, and he's oftentimes you know, utilized on that offensive line as a sixth man. So we'll see how uh, he adjusts to you know, being able to do things like calling protections and stuff like that. But he's been learning this position for quite a while. It won't be something new to him. Uh, similarly, on the offensive line, I'd watch out for Teron Armstead, who looks like he's going to be a game-time decision again. Uh, Nick Underhill reporting this morning that you know, he had suffered a, a knee injury against Tampa and, and instead of you know, kind of being in a situation where he's going to have surgery going into a contract season or going into free agency, he decided he was going to try to stay on throughout and uh, help his team, you know, try to help his team win down the stretch. So we'll see if he's able to get back out on the field this week, which would certainly be helpful for the Saints, because otherwise, 
you're talking about only one of five starting offensive linemen for the New Orleans Saints, and that offensive lineman being Cesar Reese, who struggled quite a bit over the course of this season, so not the best news for even Taysom Hill in his return. Looking at the defensive side of the football, one of the, I, I saw this this morning, and I was blown away by this stat. Ten years since Cam Jordan recorded his first sack in the NFL, how wild is that, and how cool is it to see the consistency that he's put together and the body work he's had over the course of those 10 years after his first career sack? Yeah, it, it's, it is remarkable. That's exactly what it is. And, I mean, now he's sitting at a, a 102 and a half at this point, including four over the last two weeks. But if you look at, you know, sort of his production over the course of his career, he's been remarkably consistent. And one of the more impressive things about him is exactly how is exactly that that consistent. So, I mean, now he's, what, only the 38th player, if I remember correctly, to reach 100 uh, career sacks. He was only the the fifth active player to do so uh, at, at the moment in terms of the fifth, uh, in terms of active players that are still playing that have reached that number. So it, it's it's awesome. I mean, it's awesome to see him. And, and the fact that he's also put together now uh, 10 straight seasons with seven and a half sacks, that puts him in an elite group that includes some pretty incredible names like Reggie White and John Abraham and others and, and, and Jared Allen, for instance. And, you know, so he ends up joining another, I believe he's the eighth player in NFL history to have 10 straight seasons of seven, seven and a half sacks or more at this point. I mean, it, it's absolutely remarkable. And, you know, just a couple of years ago, he, he hit that triple double stat to where he had the, the 10 tackles for a loss, 10 quarterback hits and 10 sacks and everything. I mean, he, he has done, uh, so much in in relatively little time. I mean, in terms of what we talk about as a defensive ends career in the NFL, you look at guys like Jared Allen who played forever. Uh, Von Miller, you know, will will very likely have a longer career. If, you know, if he gets through the the injuries and things like that. And so you look and compare some of the other guys like like Von Miller as well as J.J. Watt, who of course loads the stat sheet with a number of sacks. But then you think about the fact that Cam Jordan just missed his first game. Um, you know, in over 180, it's pretty incredible what Cam Jordan has done. And, you know, I think he's still got a couple of, you know, good years left in him as well. It's it's great to see sort of this rejuvenation of his season so far this year, especially after there was a lot of conversation about him having a bit of a slow start. So you'll have to be able to see him, you'll have seen him be able to bounce back here late in the season and, and be such an impact player for this uh, New Orleans Saints defense. I got one more for you, Ross, before I let you go. And it's, going to be about Michael Thomas because I've been I've been wondering this question myself for the last several days is what does the future hold for Michael Thomas because obviously we're wondering what's going to happen to him after this season and I just question like what do the Saints do with him in the offseason do, do you think they consider trading him Look, I, I think, you know, every every team has a price. Every player has a price. This is a team that has, you know, worked without this receiver for the effectively the past two seasons or at least the majority, I'll, I'll say a season and a half. And so if the right offer comes along, I'm sure that they'll listen. But I think that this New Orleans Saints team has been predicated and built so far off of homegrown talent, right, drafted talent. You know, this isn't a franchise like Jacksonville that hasn't been able to keep drafted players in the facility, right? They, they focus very much on second and third contracts with, with players that they have brought in and players that they've developed. And Michael Thomas is certainly one of those. So I think that, you know, the, the first and foremost sort of goal for both sides of this will very likely to be, you know, how do we get ready for 2022? You know what I mean? And, and 
you know, with the expectation that he'll be on the field with a Florida Lee on his helmet. But if that doesn't work out, and if the New Orleans Saints were to listen to some offers, they'd certainly get some intriguing ones that I think would be worth listening to, especially considering, you know, where the situation has gone. And if there's simply no way to work things out between the player and the organization, then, you know, you, you have to make the wise decision in terms of protecting what you do have in, in, in that building. And so, it would be, you know, a huge ask for this team to trade away Michael Thomas just based upon the funds that they have invested and dead cap conversations and all this stuff with a rebounding salary cap across the NFL and what that situation is. I expect my expectation is that Michael Thomas will be in New Orleans next season, but you know, we we never say never, and I think the the Saints are a well-run organization that would be wise in terms of the decisions that it makes. Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Happy New Year to you, man. Take it easy. Right back at you, buddy. Stay safe. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Love having this guy on, especially to start the new year off on the right foot. And we'll take a quick timeout wrap of the show with one final take concerning an icon in the sports and I'd say entertainment world as well. Back after this on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. This last take is something that I've been sitting on for about a week because the sad like news came out on Tuesday night, if I'm not mistaken, that John Madden, an icon of the NFL, I think one of the biggest icons outside of probably Vince Lombardi, he's been a part of football for a long, long, I mean long time. Going back to as a player, then a coach, led a team of the Oakland Raiders to a Super Bowl. Led him to a uh, was part of their big legacy at the outset of his coaching career. Led him to five straight AFC title games. Eventually led him to a Super Bowl, and they won that over the Minnesota Vikings. This is a guy that left his career without having to kind of go search for another gig. He decided, oh, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and step away from coaching and start my broadcast career. And he managed to do that with a plum, having guys like Al Michaels. Before that, he had Pat Summerall. And one of the most iconic duos in sports history was those two guys. Then, somewhere along the way, he helps create one of the most iconic video game franchises of all time. Now, mind you, his image and his visage of Madden, the video game, has been bastardized to hell because of microtransactions and and just rushed product year in and year out. But I think the point is still made that John Madden has done so much for the sport of football and the growth of the game of football in terms of a fan base 
more than a lot of other guys. It's hard to think of anybody that's done more for the game of professional football than John Madden. Because he didn't have to explain every bit of minutia in coach jargon. He explained it and broke it down to where the common man, the average Joe or Jane fan, the casual fan, could understand it. That's what's missing in some cases in the sport in 2021 and 2022 now. But I think John Madden was an icon. And John Madden, without a doubt, is one of the most iconic names like Lombardi. John Madden is that other guy, at least on the AFC side. But that's about all I got for Under the Dome with CD. And I'm back here with you this time next week, 10 a.m. to noon, right here on Acadiana Sports Station. Until then, take it easy. Happy New Year and stay safe out there. Bing bang.